Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, If you need a Bible, you can find one on the table in the back, or if you're joining us online, just uh, find one of us uh, somehow online and we'll find a way to get one to you. Uh, We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Paul had told the church in Ephesus earlier in chapter 5 of Ephesians in verse 8, he said, walk as children of the light, which does refer to what I've been calling our practical theology over the last several weeks. Remember the term practical theology, it essentially means if, if we've been saved by grace, what does it look like to live? by grace. And as Paul teaches us about practical theology, he gets to verse 15 here in chapter 5, and he says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Living by grace requires wisdom. Interestingly though, Paul is talking about Wisdom in how we use our time. Did you you catch that? Why would Paul say such a thing? Why would Paul care about your time? Why would he say to you, if you're going to live in grace, if you're going to have a practical theology as a Christian, you need to be very careful about how you use your time. That just seems a bit petty at first glance. Well, the, uh, the ancient Greeks had two conceptions of time. And remember, the New Testament was written in the common Greek language of the day. And, and so the Greeks had two words for time based on two different ideas. You had the word chronos, and you can figure that one out, chronologicals, where we get the word chronology from, right? Chronos was like uh, the, the, the ticking of the clock. Or, or the movement on the sundial, I guess, if you lived back then. They also had the word kairos. Kairos was uh, the importance of the moment. Kairos was uh, the right season. Kronos would answer a question like, is it 12 o'clock yet? I wish he would stop preaching. Kairos answers the question, is now a good time? Am I inconveniencing you? Do you have a moment? You see the difference? Kronos versus Kairos. When Paul gives his reason for emphasizing time, he says in verse 16 that the days are evil, that the days are desperate, as one author put it. So I have two questions for us. How would living by grace guide our response to the times in which we live? 
And how would living by grace guide your use of the time you have? How would living by grace help us respond to the times in which we live and utilize well the time that we have? It always feels like Americans never have enough time. As we talk and we get caught up with one another, it's so common for us to hear the words, I just, man, I'm so busy. I haven't had time to fill in the blank. Americans are, 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 are always trying to find more time as though you know, it's a commodity like, like, like fertilizer that you can buy. But it is always a good time for the church to wisely respond to the grace of God. It is always a good time to live by the grace of God. And we live by the grace of God with our time by using it well and filling it well and even biding our time when we have to. And I want to talk about those three aspects of time today. Using our time well, filling our time well, and biding our time when we must. Okay, so using our time well matters very much to a God who created us for good works. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 10, Paul had said that God's created us for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul keeps bringing up the language of walking, right? So walking in what God has already prepared for you requires, he says in verse 16 of chapter 5, requires making the best use of the time. Now originally, the, the, the Greek word for the phrase make the best use of something, it was an economic term. It was used to say, buy something up, or, or um, redeem something, or ransom something, or purchase something. So imagine he's saying, uh, buy up the time, redeem the time, ransom the time, purchase the time. From that perspective now, you see time as an investment, right? Your time is an investment that can yield a good return, and it can also yield a bad return. How you use your time can yield a bad return. And so he says, be careful how you use it because the days are evil. Now remember, chronos versus kairos. Paul is not saying, manage your schedule well. Make sure you get your meetings on your iCal. I do that, I mean, you should. But he's not saying that. He's saying, don't waste your life. Invest the time that you have as best as you can. But then counterintuitively, uh, counter he offers a non-technical answer in how to do this. We actually learn how to use well our moments and our years and our very lives um, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. He uses this expression to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in verse 18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, or like that's a waste. 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he's making comparisons. Don't fill yourself up with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're looking at the, like, people like to take passages like this and say things like, Jesus never drank alcohol. The wedding in Cana was a bunch of grape juice. That's not what's going on here. Look at the context of what Paul is talking about, and you can see that Paul was not trying to be a legalistic killjoy against the responsible use of alcohol. He wasn't saying that. Paul is concerned that we not fill ourselves, fill our lives with anything that wastes them. Don't fill yourself. uh, uh, Too much wine is a great example. But don't fill yourself with anything that wastes your life. Whatever that thing, whatever that situation might be. Eugene Peterson paraphrased it so well. He said, don't drink too much wine that cheapens your life. Drink the spirit of God, huge drafts of him. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a passive verb, right? It's not, it's not like going to the gas station. Uh, you're not in control of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't fill yourself with the Spirit of God. You allow God to fill you up with his Spirit. It's not that you are out of control like psychedelic drugs. By the way, throughout history, uh, people in different cultures have discovered that psychedelic substances do what, right? What did all the hippie musicians in the 60s do to write all that great music? They were eating mushrooms all the time. And throughout history, people say, psychedelic substances really drive creativity. Well, it's interesting that you see Paul saying, don't fill yourself up with wine, fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because for the Christian, the Spirit of God is what should be inspiring you. The Spirit of God is what should be directing your life. The the Welsh preacher, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, He used to be a medical doctor before he went into the ministry, and he made this point about this passage. He said, if it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind, the intellect, the heart, and the will. Paul is saying, let the Spirit of God fill you up with everything that is good, from him. Now, how do you know that God is stimulating you towards good works, right? How do you know it's not just your master's degree or your certification to do whatever you do or your good looks or your natural intelligence or, you know, your parents like constantly helicoptering you from behind? How do you know that your good works are guided and directed and inspired by the Spirit of God. Interestingly, Paul, in his letter to Christians in Galatia, said that the fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Whereas psychedelics take you out of control in order to inspire you, the Spirit of God allows you to remain in control of what he's entrusted to you. 
And it's really not about what miracles you're performing and what revival you're involved in. The best way to know if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if you are allowing God's Spirit to direct and inspire and guide your life, is do you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit? If the fruits are present, you will use your time well. If the fruits of the Spirit are present, you won't waste your life. Isn't that so encouraging? To know that if you are allowing the Spirit of God to fill you, you won't waste your time and you won't waste your life? Because all of those things are present in some good measure and degree. But how should you fill your time, right? Like, with what should we fill our hours and our days and our very lives or this season of your life or the next decade of your life. Filling our time well, and this is really critical, filling our time well is a community effort for Christians. You can't fill your time well alone. Four goes on, uh, Paul goes on to give four ways of being filled with the Spirit. And I don't have time to get into all of them. I will really focus on the first and just leave the other three hanging for another time. Four ways that a spirit-filled church should fill its time. And this, these are generalities. Don't get legalistic and too specific about these four things. Paul's talking in general terms. And the first is speaking to one another or in the, in the translation that we read today, addressing one another in grace-filled dialogue. He says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, does that mean that our lives as Christians are one constant musical, right, where people are just bursting into song randomly? Like, that's, even as a musician, that's just insane, right? He's, he's not saying that, you know, like, how are you today? And you go off into uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's next version of Hosanna, Integrity Music. It's nothing like that. What Paul is doing is, is he's using a metaphor. Think about it. I want you to think about it. What do the Psalms of the Old Testament do? What do hymns do? What do spiritual songs do? They teach us, right? When we sing these hymns and praise songs, and when we read the Psalms and imagine what they must have sounded like when they were sung thousands of years ago, what happens? We're being taught. We are being encouraged in our faith through creativity and repetition. Creativity, rep rep repetition, the Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of the church encourage our faith. They teach us, they remind us who we are and who God is and what he's done. And so Paul is employing music here as a metaphor for Christian fellowship. Because when you think about it, Christian fellowship is how we remember and are taught and are encouraged in our faith. We can't do this without each other. I've learned that Europeans cannot wrap their brains around the American travel mug. <laughs> they look at our, you know, like, they look at Americans with their travel mugs and they go, why? And I learned this because, 
Because to Europeans, coffee or, or tea is not simply a beverage to consume. It's a moment. All the famous movies and books. For the British, tea is a moment. It's a moment. And, 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 and for so many people in, in other places in the world, coffee is something you do. You sit down and you sit across the table from somebody else and you both drink coffee and you talk and you reflect on your life and you talk about what's happening in the day. Coffee is a moment, tea is a moment. And so they look at us and you know, we're on the go with our, and how many of us bring our travel mugs to church, right? I mean, we're just like, they're everywhere. Like every house, right, you, you, you swing a tea bag and you hit three travel mugs. They're just everywhere. And, and so here's the thing. We have to get into the rhythm of moments, sharing moments with one another. And Paul said, the life of a congregation is, it's like music. It encourages you, it reminds you of who you are, and never stop doing that, never stop talking to one another, Paul says, about the things of grace. Uh, but then he goes on, and this he is, I think, speaking literally, singing. That's a natural outpouring of people who talk about their faith together. They're going to sing. They can't help it. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And of course, thanking God, right? I mean, a church that knows it's loved is going to practice gratitude. We're going to be thanking God for everything, from a third classroom down the hallway Right, to, to the people who set up communion and set up the sound equipment and the people who are putting traffic cones out. We just praise God and thank him and celebrate every little drop of blessing that we perceive he has provided. And we thank one another. We thank one another because we're already in the habit of thanking God. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, and this is a tough one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is so important that um, I'm not going to talk about it today. Not because I'm scared, but I am. Uh, because Paul, this is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is so important to the health of the church that Paul unpacks it over the next three passages about our relationships with one another in the world. So we'll get to that starting next week. And listen. Uh, uh, speaking to one another, singing, thanking, sub mutual submission. If these don't describe you, I think you have to wisely reorganize your life around the priorities of grace. If you're looking at those four general things and saying, ah, I don't know that I am, I don't know that I'm near any of that. You may have to reprioritize, reorganize your life around them, and I think that's wisdom. A counter-cultural lifestyle. That's what these four things encourage us to be, to do. Live out a counter-cultural lifestyle that helps a healthy church and a healthy Christian fill in the time well. Every person should be asking the question, am I investing my time poorly? I think every church Every church, every leadership body, every ministry team should be asking the question, are we investing our time poorly? 
or wisely. Because again, look at verse 16. Paul's intent with making the best use of the time is based upon the fact that the days are evil. Or as Eugene Peterson said, these are desperate times. But now 2,000 years of history later, we know that the times have always been desperate. They're desperate now. They were desperate 2,000 years ago. The church is growing. Christians all over the world are experiencing new life in Jesus. It doesn't feel that way right now in America. Times are desperate, but times have always been desperate. That has never changed. All we have to do, Gandalf told Frodo, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Is the world getting worse? Uh, in some places, yes. In other places, things are looking a little bit up as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. But times have always been desperate. That Gandalf wisdom says, what are you gonna do with the time you've been given? What are we gonna do with the time that we've been given? And this is not primarily a matter of scheduling, delegating, downsizing, or quitting. Those are all appropriate things that you may need to do. But that's not what we're talking. We don't give technical problems, uh, I'm sorry, we don't provide technical solutions to spiritual problems. That's why Paul's not saying manage your eye calendar better, right? Coordinate with your spouse, make sure you're both on the same Apple ID so you can see each other's calendars. That does help. But he's providing spiritual information here. He's talking about wisdom. Look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. We'll go back to the beginning. Not as unwise, but as wise. You see that? You don't really need more time. You don't need more time to do anything that you are trying to do right now. You need wisdom. You need wisdom to fill your time well. You need wisdom to invest the life that you've been given, the decade that you have before you. You need wisdom. One manifestation of wisdom is knowing the value of patience. Knowing the value of stillness and waiting. That's how we know we're growing wise, is because no matter how much we have to do and no matter how many people are asking for our help, and no matter how ill-equipped we feel to give the right answer and to provide the best solution and to help in the best way, if we can value patience and stillness and waiting, ah, that means we're becoming wise. And if you cannot learn those things, throw away your travel mug. I'm joking. You may have to learn how to bide your time. Like, you may have to learn how to say, I can't act right now. I can't respond right now. I have to wait. I have to be still. I have to exercise patience. Biding your time well is evidence 
of a spirit-filled person who is beginning to grow in wisdom. So why does Psalm 96, we read it as our call to worship, command us to be glad? It tells us to rejoice. Well, it's because God is coming to judge the earth. That's why the psalmist rejoices. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. God commands us to wait because only he can restore certain things, right? Only God can rectify certain problems. Only God can heal certain types of wounds. And so we rejoice that Jesus is returning and we wait. And so waiting is part of a healthy use of your time. We sin when we use our time trying to be God. So the Christian bides her time well. The Christian bides his time well because God bid his time well. When you think about the gospel and when you look at all of scripture, God has managed the time well. Both history, which is chronos, and salvation, which is kairos. For instance, Galatians chapter four. But when the fullness of time, chronos, had come, God sent forth his son. You see, at the pregnant fullness of history, when everything was capable of being brought together and spread out across the Roman roads and communicated through one global language, in the fullness of history, God sent his son who was always sneaking off onto a mountaintop and they, you know, when it was time to build the brand, they couldn't find him because he was out praying somewhere by himself. Couldn't manage his time well, that guy. And yet Paul to the Romans said, for a while we were still weak. At the right time, Kairos, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, God used his time well. God took the moment that you needed forgiveness. The moment was right to save you. He was a good steward of history and he seized the moment. He seized the opportunity even while we were in our sins. The gospel shows us that God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uses his time well and has filled his time well throughout history and in every moment that he's encouraged you and corrected you. And he is biding his time well and he will return. God knows when to wait and God knows when to act. He knows when to speak and he knows when to seemingly be silent. And he knows when he's going to return. And we wait. We use our time. We bide our time well as people of grace. And now filled with his spirit, we imitate his son. And that's how we become a church for these times. What's so interesting is that becoming a church for the beginning of the 21st century in America, we are really not going to practice any different disciplines than what the church was doing 2,000 years ago 
in Turkey, in Israel, in Rome, in Greece, in North Africa. We're, we're doing the same things. Speaking to one another, making music, thanking God, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Really, like nothing has changed and you're not gonna get any more time than you already have. We have to use it well. It's always a good time for the church to wisely respond to God's grace. And as we apply ourselves to our perception of time, we will become a church for these times and you will become a Christian for these times. So, so let's wisely reorganize our lives around the priorities of God's grace. Let's do that as elders and deacons and you do that as ministry leaders because several of you lead different ministry teams in, he, in this room. You know, and as, and as Christians or as employers or employees or students um, or, or, or families, let's reorganize our lives and our ministries around the priorities of grace because you'll, you'll never have enough time to be God and save yourself and save other people. You'll never have enough time to do that. But because you're saved by grace and you've been adopted as a child of God, you have all the time you need to do his will. Let's pray. Father, help us to use the time well. Help us to bide our time until you return. Help us to be investors investors of what you've entrusted to us. Help us to know when to rest. Help us to know when to act. Help us to know when to be quiet and when to speak. But I pray that we would always be filled with your spirit. Forgive us for all the things that we fill our lives with. We're sorry. May we be filled with your spirit, reminding us that we are your children, reminding us that Jesus died for our sins, reminding us that he is returning, reminding us that there is objective truth, reminding us that we must stay together, reminding us that we have every reason to give praise, to give thanks, to make melody in our hearts and with one another, and that we have reason to submit to one another out of our reverence of you. As we turn our attention to the Lord's table, impress upon us the invaluable worth of the blood of Jesus Christ. And like him, may we be good stewards of the moment. Amen.